Hello and welcome to the EUISS podcast, a conversation on foreign policy with scenarios. Today with me is Stanislav Sekriru. Welcome, Stanislav. Hi, Florence. Thank you for having me. So today we will travel to the east, uh, to be precise, to the countries that are part of the eastern neighborhood. I know that you want to talk particularly about Georgia, Moldova and Ukraine. Before we actually go there, can you explain to those of our listeners that don't know what the eastern neighborhood is, what is it? Why are we even talking about it now during COVID-19? Usually when we mention Eastern Neighborhood, we refer to six countries which are included in the European Neighborhood Policy, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, Ukraine, Moldova and Belarus. Why we are talking about Eastern Neighborhood? Because it's immediate neighborhood of European Union. Usually if you have problems in the immediate neighborhood, you easily import them inside. Second, for already 10 years, we are promoting policy of stabilization, democratic development, economic development in the Eastern neighborhood. So some efforts were invested to stabilize the neighborhood. And third, all six countries face multidimensional challenges. It's poverty, corruption, conflicts, and COVID-19 probably will exacerbate these problems. So there will be more need to act in order to help these countries to absorb the shock of the COVID-19 and to help to uh, maintain them uh, stable, relatively stable. The risks of destabilization, political, economic and social are increasing dramatically. For those of you who don't know this, there is also a southern equivalent to the eastern neighborhood. I mean, in a sense, the neighborhood is a European concept to, if you want, structure foreign policy uh, around geographical clusters. And having the status of neighborhood obviously implies geographic proximity to Europe. And that's the South. So that's the Middle East, North Africa in part, and parts and the East, Sarislav, what we're talking about today. It's important to mention that as EU will be increasingly focused on dealing on these uh, consequences of COVID internally. It remains as well focused on the foreign policy issues. There will be no chance to have vacation from foreign policy. Uh, we will have to be able to do uh, both. And I uh, underlined uh, the challenges which Eastern Neighborhood may pose in the 2020, maybe closer to autumn. But I also have to uh, underscore how important in recent years Eastern Neighborhood became for European exporters and uh, how important migrants from Eastern Neighborhood uh, are becoming for some industries in uh, Europe. The ties are multidimensional. It's not only about tackling the risks, but also maintaining and preserving these trade relations and uh, all other dimensions of the relationship developed over the last decade. So uh, you came up with a scenario that focuses on, on three of these six countries, Georgia, Moldova and Ukraine. And you laid out basically how remittances to these three countries are drying out by 2021. Now, before we go into the details of the scenario, can you explain, you already touched on it just now when you talked about the migrants, what remittances actually are and why are they so important for these three countries? Remittances are the money sent by Moldovans, Ukrainians and Georgians working abroad. This is the simple way to explain. Second element is that remittances are sort of oil uh, for Eastern neighborhood. It's a, a constant uh, source of uh, revenue for many, many, many families, especially uh, poor families in rural areas in Georgia, Ukraine and Moldova. 
not only helps them to survive from one day to another, remittances are also uh, important for uh, states and governments. Remittances represent more than 10% of GDP for all these countries. So in case of Moldova, we're talking about 15%. case of Georgia is uh, 11%, 12%, and the same is for Ukraine. And just to understand the scale and how important the remittance is, in all three cases, remittances are much, much bigger than the FDI foreign direct investments attracted by these countries. Just to give you one example, Ukraine is the biggest recipient of remittances in Europe in absolute terms, $16 billion. But uh, uh, last year, Ukraine managed to attract up to $2 billion in uh, uh, foreign direct investments, something around like. In case of Moldova, the gap is even bigger. Uh, it's $200 million. Uh, of direct investments attracted in 2018 and $1.2 billion coming from Moldovans working abroad. So if you want, workers or migrants from Moldova, Georgia and Ukraine are the biggest investors in their own countries. I like how you compare it to oil. Remittances like oil undergo a lot of fluctuation and they're vulnerable to external influences much, much more than, than other sources of income. So for this year and for next, what do you see happening? What's the what if scenario that you see happening when it comes to remittances? To the eastern neighborhood. For for this autumn, I uh, build a scenario which uh, I aim to present as an early warning uh, exercise. In all three countries, uh, there will be uh, or scheduled to be organized elections, local elections in uh, Ukraine in October, parliamentary elections in Georgia in October, and presidential elections in November in uh, Moldova. I uh, as well introduce an element of climate change that these countries go through a very tough summer uh, without uh, enough rain, uh, severe droughts, which uh, very much uh, reduced the crop. And I introduce as well the element of a second uh, wave of uh, COVID-19, which we cannot uh, rule out completely today as um, previous viruses uh, this century were coming in waves. Can I just ask you, so the droughts that you project, they are the result of climate change? Yeah, we can see droughts happening in the uh, Eastern Europe with increasing frequency and uh, it's connected with um, uh, climate change. For instance, in 2018, 2019, there were droughts in uh, Moldova. The projections were that uh, this uh, reduced the crop by 20%. For this year, uh, I've seen Ukrainian authorities as well uh, sending um, messages about potential um, a reduction of crop because of deficit of precipitations. And then in Georgia, we've seen as well droughts and sort of bug attacking crop, which reduced the hazelnut, for instance, by 80%. So we've seen these instances as well. I don't know really what will happen this summer, but it's not such a uh, fantastic uh, scenario. It's very plausible. All these uh, elements were introducing instability because first, we are not sure how people will react to the second wave of confinement. Probably people will eat their small savings, which we have this spring while uh, being in, on the lockdown. 
We are not sure if they will have other savings to go through another confinement. Second element is that people do not trust governments. There are very low in public surveys, very low levels of uh, trust. And people do not think that countries are going in the right direction. And then I think another element is that many try to survive and sustain themselves through the crop which they gather on their private lots. If uh, droughts will diminish uh, the harvest, people will have less uh, stocked food, prepared food to go through uh, winter. And then naturally uh, remittances come into play as in the EU and Russia and other main sources of uh, remittances go into the economic decline as well. People from Georgia, Ukraine and Moldova cannot travel to work abroad because of transport uh, disruptions and confinement. And as a result, many of them don't have sources to buy food, to pay their bills and maybe address some medical urgent problems they have. So the combination of these can create a very um, explosive situation in one or another country this autumn. Isn't one of the problems also that um, these Uh, I mean, I know that, for instance, I think about, is it about a third of Moldova's population that is actually abroad for work? And that about a third of these in turn were uh, seasonal workers, i.e. they are in, in jobs that are normally the ones that are laid off the first, or as you just said, they can't travel for work if it's for agricultural stuff, for instance. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not only case of Moldova, it's also case of Ukraine. There are a lot of seasonal workers who who go to work uh, in Poland, in Czech Republic. They usually go for several months. They send money supporting back home construction. They pay for education of their kids. They also pay for difficult operations, which are very expensive for their family or relatives. And obviously, the money they send back uh, home uh, help people to uh, buy uh, the most necessary uh, stuff. If Uh, they cannot travel to uh, send money back home. For them, it's a difficult um, situation how to offset the sudden disappearance of a source of income. We have in the statistics that around 30% of families back in Moldova rely on remittances. And for 50% of these families, remittances represent more than a half of their monthly income. So imagine if this income stops coming, this situation can be prolonged by the second COVID-19. So it's not only a problem of one month or two months, but maybe half a year or uh, even uh, more. For instance, data for March already have shown that remittances dropped in comparison to the March 2019. They dropped to, uh, in Moldova by 6% and in Georgia by 9%. And as well, the National Bank of Ukraine anticipates the drop in remittances by around uh, 2 billion. But I think it's a very optimistic scenario. If one looks at the projections of uh, World Bank, remittances are projected to decline by 27%. And it's actually the sharpest decline uh, around uh, the world in uh, uh, Europe and uh, Central Asia, the decline will be much sharper. And of the three countries, Georgia, Moldova and Ukraine, is there one that you think will be hit the hardest or is it more or less the same for all three? All of them are very vulnerable in their own way. For instance, for Ukraine, it will be tough because Ukraine is in the middle of war. It's not a very hot phase, which we've seen in 2014 or 2015. 
but it still demands uh, state resources uh, to invest in the defense of a state. Second thing is the second recession in five years. The first one in 2014-15, which dramatically reduced the uh, disposable incomes of Ukrainians. And uh, the third element that for Ukraine, this is the high year of uh, debt uh, repayment, around $11 billion. This makes the decrease of remittances uh, an additional exacerbating factor, uh, increasing the weaknesses of Ukraine. In case of Georgia, there, there are other elements in play. Georgia heavily relies not only on remittances, but also on tourism. Last year, Georgia had a record number of visitors, more than 9 million. And tourism and transport sector bring uh, to Georgia around $3 billion. So it's even more than remittances. But the decrease, anticipated decrease of uh, frequencies of uh, visits paid by foreign tourists, we probably anticipate as well decrease of revenues Georgia uh, has from uh, touristic sector. This is vulnerability, which in combination with reduction of remittances can create a perfect storm in Georgia. In Moldova, uh, the problem is that Moldova over the last years became very dependent on the European market. Between 60 and 70% of Moldovan exports go to EU. So the combination of contraction of demand for Moldovan goods on the European market, this contraction of the fluxes of remittances coming mainly from EU and second place Israel, as well create a perfect storm in Moldova, then leadership of a country will be in a very tough situation to decide whether to have elections or not. Elections which probably might lead to the demise of a president. And it can uh, as well encourage an outgoing president to rely on uh, tricks, electoral tricks, to deliver um, the results um, needed in order to stay in power. So in all three countries, they have their own vulnerabilities and the interaction or combination of those vulnerabilities can produce political and um, social destabilization uh, this autumn. It's not to say that the apocalypse is coming, but it's just to raise uh, the flag and just to explain what are the um, uh, issues we need to watch. So what does this mean? Do we have to prepare for a series of demonstrations, riots, or what, what do we have to expect? I think we need to think in terms of how we can prevent it or how we can help attenuate the shock of uh, COVID-19 and all the related uh, shocks generated by uh, this crisis. I think EU already made um, several steps and the offer to inject macrofinancial assistance is the step in the right uh, direction because the budget revenues will significantly drop in all three countries, partially because remittances fuel consumption. Consumption means uh, VAT and the reduction of tax will um, reduce budget revenues. So first, macrofinancial assistance is a step in the right direction, but we need to follow this analysis. And if situation gets worse, probably more injections of financial resources will be needed in 2021. Second uh, element is uh, how do we deal with um, documented or undocumented migrants from these uh, three countries who are uh, now in Europe, whether we provide them with uh, equal uh, rights to have access to healthcare and to social uh, benefits. And then there is another element, some sectors, especially agriculture sector in Europe, 
needs uh, migrants in order to collect the crop. One way to attenuate the problem of drop-off remittances probably is to reach out to the governments and to see the ways how seasonal workers who want to go to work can be transported in a safe manner and uh, bring them to the working place so that they can do uh, their job. Where are they mostly working? In which EU countries? Uh, it's different for Moldova. It's Italy, Germany, Spain. For Georgians, they mostly go to Italy and uh, Greece. In case of uh, Ukrainians, Poland, Czech Republic, Italy as well. What is interesting is that unlike during previous economic crises, when migrants could leave one country and to move to the market uh, where there is a job, now even they cannot move between these countries inside Schengen area yeah, because uh, borders are closed. This crisis for uh, migrants is unprecedented because during previous economic crises, they could shift from one country to another. And then there was economic crisis in Russia. Many of them went to Europe. When in Europe was crisis, if it strikes one country, they move to another country. In this case, Russia and European Union are in the recession. And even inside European Union, you cannot move between the countries. And what happens if one of the migrants falls sick with COVID-19 while they are, let's say, in Italy for the harvest? If such kind of transportation will be organized for those willing to work, there should be protocols put in place from how to transport them in the safest way possible with all precautionary measures. And second, to organize their work in the safest possible way and guarantee them access to healthcare in the countries they will be temporarily residing. And it's in the interest of the host countries. Untreated migrant means that there will be more chances of spread of uh, virus further. It's not uh, something uh, which a particular country will do of charity, but in itself own interest. I like your scenario because it calls for action. But let's assume we don't heed your call for action. And indeed, this instability that you project happens. Let's talk about the bear in the room. Do you think Russia could take advantage of that instability? Russia is already taking advantage of fragility or increasing fragility of these states. For instance, um, they uh, use the COVID-19 cover to increase the borderization in uh, uh, Ossetia. What does it mean? Is that after 2008, after the war between Russia and Georgia, South Ossetia was recognized by uh, Russia. Russia is uh, trying to demarcate the de facto border between South Ossetia and Georgia proper. What they are tending to do is, uh, through this demarcation, to move a barbed wire Every day or uh, every month, a couple of meters inside the Georgia proper territory. And it's sort of creeping annexation of more and more territories from Georgia. And while we've heard uh, Russian top officials calling for sanctions, global sanctions relief, at the same time, their behavior was not in the spirit of the call they made uh, in the international forum. So while officials were calling to have these sanctions, global sanctions relief, they were speeding up the borderization of border between South Ossetia and Georgia proper, grabbing even more Georgia proper territory. For Russia, it's a fantastic occasion to 
take strategic economic assets in the eastern neighborhood where governments are fragile and they would uh, ask for some loans of or for some favors, diplomatic protection, if someone in the eastern neighborhood wants to fake elections and he will need a diplomatic cover, Russia can uh, do it in exchange of some strategic assets, which uh, corrupt leadership can offer in exchange. So essentially, preventing instability in the eastern neighborhood is not just about the economics, it's really about geopolitics. It's also about geopolitics, because I think Russia is having economic problems and will have economic problems. But still, the amount of resources and reserves they have compared to anyone in the eastern neighborhood is much superior. And uh, thus, they have uh, much more resources to go through the crisis and while dealing with domestic problems, also pursue their foreign policy goals. That's why I began by saying that there will be no for European Union foreign policy vacation because others will not be on vacation. So uh, not only we will not probably go on vacation this year, but uh, the EU foreign policy won't go on vacation either. Okay, so <laughs> not sure this is the right note to end this on. Other than what you already mentioned, is there something else that you think we should look out for as a positive signpost that we're on the right track? Is there a development that you can project or an event where you would say, I think we have done the right thing? We cannot control completely how a virus will unfold in summer and autumn. But if the second wave we manage to contain or even to be more ambitious, prevent, our macrofinancial assistance closes the gaps in the finances of these states. Seasonal workers in the end can come to you to help to collect the harvest and send money back home. And all three countries organize a clean, a fair elections and they have stabilized politically and economically by November, December this year. And all of them in 2021 resume economic growth. They have uh, legitimate authorities and they try to manage the fallout of economic crisis. I think we will be in a pretty good uh, situation. So if they begin to resume economic growth, if they had elections and if our financial assistance helped them to stabilize a macroeconomic uh, situation and uh, medical equipment, and all aid delivered help them to beef up the healthcare sector. I think then it's a, a already big achievement for all three countries. Okay, well, let's uh, watch out for these signposts then. Thank you, Stanislav, for joining me today on our little trip to the future. And thank you to you for listening to us. And please join us again coming Friday for another What If Scenario. 